We're speaking today with Elizabeth Carson, a family lawyer with the firm of Pennington's Manches, who has a wide range of expertise on all of the issues that arise from the breakdown of a relationship. Her expertise is in cases with an international dimension, including complex financial disputes and cases involving the relocation of children. Dual qualified in both England and Wales and New York, Elizabeth frequently works with international families, including American families, who find themselves based in London. She has also advised clients on pre- and post-nuptial and separation agreements and has an interest in new areas of family law, including surrogacy. She's a graduate of the Harvard Law School and a member of the International Division of the American Bar Association, as well as the leading English family lawyers organization, Resolution. Elizabeth, in a previous Tanager talk with wedding planner Dominique Douglas, we looked at the additional complexities transatlantic couples face in their wedding preparations. But in line with US and UK divorce statistics, sadly, we know a percentage of these transatlantic relationships will also experience a breakdown. And once again, the international dimension will add complexity. As an expert in both UK and US family law, I'd like to begin by asking you to set the scene and describe some of the most important considerations that come up when a transatlantic couple is involved in a divorce. Absolutely. Well, I should start by saying that I have personal experience um, in this area simply by virtue of being a part of a transatlantic couple myself. I met my British husband many years ago and moved to London, married him, and settled here. So some of the issues that I talk about with you today and that I advise clients on are also issues that I've had to cope with myself on a personal level. Um, turning to the three key considerations, I would say the first one is jurisdiction, and this is probably the most complicated one. And that's because many people don't realize that the United Kingdom, like the United States, is actually made up of multiple jurisdictions. So here in London, we're in the jurisdiction of England and Wales, but Scotland is a separate jurisdiction, and so is Northern Ireland. And in the United States, you obviously have 50 state jurisdictions, which generally set the law in relation to most family matters. So the other thing that comes into play in a city like London, where you have so many people from different backgrounds, is that you have you might have a transatlantic couple where you have an American spouse and they come here and they marry somebody who is an EU national from another country. And that means that there's yet another jurisdiction that must come into play. The reason jurisdiction is so important is that different jurisdictions can mean different outcomes when you're talking about divorce and financial settlement. England and Wales has a reputation as being one of the most, if not the most, generous jurisdiction in the world for non-working spouses, but the situation is very different if you talk about Germany or possibly some U.S. states. So 
very early on, people need to take advice about this issue of jurisdiction to find out what's the most advantageous place for them to issue proceedings if there is a potential divorce. And the second issue I would touch on is the issue of immigration, simply because people come to London, many of them, as um, a spouse, and so they might have a spousal visa rather than having a permanent right to remain in this country or a British passport. And if that's the case, you have to look very carefully at the options open to them if they want to stay in this country after a divorce or a separation. And just um, giving a sort of real-world example, um, one of my colleagues' neighbors um, was an American, and she found that after her divorce, she went back to the U.S. on holiday and tried to come back into the country and was told that she couldn't return. And that had to do with someone neglecting to give her proper immigration advice when they were advising her on her divorce. So it's very important to look at those immigration aspects at a very early stage. And the last aspect, and I think this is really the most important aspect for families with children, is the consideration of what will happen to the children if there's a divorce or a family breakdown. Not only with which parent the children will be spending most of their time, but also is there a possibility that the children might relocate to live in another country and be separated from one of their parents. So. Um. Absolutely. Uh, let's. I'd like to drill down a little bit on sure. on this issue of uh, children and immigration uh, and custody. Um, you've you've already described uh, an example where someone was not able to return to the United yes. Kingdom. Um, is it also possible that a parent could lose the right to work? Uh, in the UK after a divorce. Um, and then tell us a bit more uh, about this issue of, of whether the children must remain in the country, can be taken back to the country of one of the parents. How does that all work? Absolutely. Well, starting with the immigration component, um, I would say in some situations, uh, if a couple separates and one person has a British passport and one is an American, say, it may be that the person, if they're an American and they're working here, that they are able to obtain a visa through their employer. Okay. That's not something that all employers are able to assist with, um, though, and so you do need to look at what what options you have and whether you can reach an agreement on um, helping someone to obtain the desired immigration status before a divorce takes place. So you need to be very careful in terms of looking at the timing of issuing divorce proceedings. We've got a great immigration department here, and so if I do meet with somebody who is not a British passport holder and doesn't have permanent residence status, then I try and take advice from them very early who on. Who wants to remain. And somebody then you wants fold to that remain. into the... Exactly. I fold it into the advice at a very early stage. Exactly. And I would say, just turning to the issue of families with children, if there is a parent whose children... Uh, there's a parent who doesn't have British citizenship, but they have British citizen children. And if for some reason that parent loses their ability to remain in this country, I would say that the courts do look at um, very closely at the situation and will try and accommodate um, that parent so that they can remain living here with their children if that is what has been agreed between the parents. Okay. So, um, so immigration is something 
people need advice on from a very early from, stage. From the very yeah, from beginning. From the outset, exactly. And then um, turning to children, this is obviously a hugely difficult area because it, you know, when people are going through a divorce, it's already a very emotional time for them. And if you add in then the component that they may not be spending the same amount of time with their children as they're used to, and that their children are really getting used to a new situation where they're not living under the same roof as their parents, that can be very difficult for everyone concerned. Um, the starting point under English law is that both parents have what's called parental responsibility. So they must make jointly any decisions about three important factors for the children, that is their religious upbringing, their education, and any major medical decisions. So those have to be taken by the parents in agreement. Similarly, the parents should agree together where the children will live. And if they can't agree, then they need to make an application to the court, and the court will decide that. That includes decisions on whether or not the children should be taken out of this country to live somewhere else. Okay. And you have to, parents have to agree that in writing, and if not, an application has to be made to the court. So what, and unfortunately, one of the consequences of this is that you have parents who try and go around the system by, say, taking children on a two-week agreed vacation to stay with, you know, grandparents. And at the end of that two weeks, you know, the left-behind parent in London gets a telephone call saying, oh, the children are so happy here, they've settled in so well, we're staying. It's very important that people understand that that is considered to be child abduction. If children are retained without the consent of the other parent, that's child abduction, and the children will usually be returned very swiftly back to their country of habitual residence. Okay. And that's it's, serious stuff. It's serious stuff. And it's also, it's really, um, you know, it's a black mark against your name if you then try and make an application to remove the children, because the court will always look at you with some skepticism right. if you've tried to take the children on a previous occasion. Um, but it, the applications that we see very frequently are parents who have settled here and, you know, one parent might be a UK citizen, but one parent might be from somewhere else in the EU. And it might be that, you know, a mother who has been very happy when she's been married, raising kids here in London at the time of the divorce, really feels that she needs the support of friends and family around her. And if the friends and family happen to be in California, she is probably going to want to return to that place with her children. And so she would make an application for something called leave to remove. She can't get the consent of the other parent. And that would involve the court um, taking an in-depth look at what's in the best interests of the children and where it's best for them to, to live in future. And they look at a whole variety of factors. When and making I assume decisions. that process takes time and money. It's very expensive, yes, and it can take up to a year and sometimes longer for those sorts of cases to make their way through the courts. So, yeah, those are those are really difficult. So it's best if you can work that out. Best if you can try and agree it, absolutely. And there's a lot of um, emphasis placed in the English system nowadays on people attending mediation to see if they can work out their differences. Mediation works in some instances. It's not appropriate for everyone. But, you know, where possible, the courts like parents to try and agree these things. 
the, rea- the reality of life, though, especially with situations where one parent knows they will be staying on in London and another parent knows that they won't be happy staying in London, is that they do have to present these issues to a judge and let the judge make the ultimate determination, yeah. looking at all the factors in the case. Yeah. Okay, um, moving on to property. Uh, <laughs> international families often have assets and properties in more than one country. What are some of the challenges in dividing these assets up, and when is a good time in the process to seek tax and financial advice? Great. Well, one of the things that we see fairly frequently is situations where people come in looking for advice and they have very little idea at all about how the finances have been managed. You know, there's very frequently one partner who's one person in the relationship who has taken all the decisions in relation to the finances and that's just been their responsibility and it's something that works very well for people when they are happy and working together as a team. When they're no longer working together as a team, it can make things very difficult because one person not only has to grapple with all of the, you know, stress and high emotion that comes with the divorce, but also they have to get up to speed with the investments and where those are and what it means to be taxed here in the UK. And if they're American, the impact of also being, you know, having the IRS look at your global income and assets. So there's a lot of very complicated things that people have to look at. I would say the first thing that we ask people about when they come in to see us is um, about tax, because we need to have an understanding not only of what the assets are and where they're located, but also how they'll be taxed. And if there are properties, will they need to be sold? And you know, the English courts always want to know what is the net value of the asset, not just what it's worth, because you know, in many cases, people have to liquidate their assets in order to fund financial settlements, in order to make sure that there's enough money for both people to go their separate ways and purchase new homes for themselves. So tax advice is something that we take at a very early stage. There's another peculiarity that happens um, in trying to ensure that financial orders are tax compliant from a UK and a US perspective. Because in the US, for instance, alimony is something that is tax deductible for the payor, but it is taxed in the hands of the recipient. Whereas in the the UK, spousal maintenance is tax neutral. So um, we, we can draft our orders working with tax experts to make sure that they are tax compliant in the UK and in the US. That's something we work on. And, and I would say in relation to the finances, it depends on the individual that we're working with. If we're representing somebody who's always had control of the finances, they generally have a very good idea of what's what. And they don't need the same amount of advice as early. But if we're working with somebody who really is coming as a novice to the financial side of things, then they need advice very early on. And we can put them in touch with people who can give them the sort of detailed financial advice that they need and also help them with things like financial planning going forward and thinking about things like, 
you know, if it's somebody who is American but has raised children here, they might need to think about actually where do they plan to retire? Will it be in the U.S.? Will it be in the U.K.? And what resources will they need? Um, you know, will they need U.K. pensions, U.S. pensions? How can the assets be divided to suit them best and to protect their interests? That's um, that's very helpful advice. Um, Elizabeth, I want I want to conclude this Tanager talk by asking you a, a really broad and open-ended question, which is, what have I failed to ask you about transatlantic divorce that you feel would be important for our listeners to hear? Um, I would say something that people often don't think about, um, but it is something that they can do to avoid future problems, is to think about entering into a prenuptial agreement. So um, it sort of ties in with the first point that you made about um, transatlantic wedding preparations. This is this, this falls into the same category as those other wedding preparations. It's something that you can enter into um, whether you're living in London and planning a wedding here or whether you know that you'll be coming to London is to think about entering into a prenuptial agreement that meets English requirements. It will have persuasive force with the courts here and it can really um, prevent many of the difficulties that we see and many of the arguments over money that people have when they come to divorce. And I would say equally, if you have a couple who are working in New York and they know that they're going to be moving to London and they already have a prenuptial agreement that they've entered into somewhere in the United States, they can ask an English lawyer to review that agreement to make sure that it's compliant with English requirements. So it's a very simple step to try and, you know, but think about it. To think about oh, yeah. exactly to try and prevent future future disputes and problems. Could could you give us a, a an ex, an a, an example of one that you've framed up or worked with just to make yeah. it come come alive a bit? Certainly. Well, I think that um, one um, example would be if you are. Um, and this is um, something that happens particularly where there's a second marriage, um, is that people might have children from a prior relationship and they would want to set aside certain assets and protect those assets for the children from that prior relationship. And with a prenuptial agreement, they can easily agree to protect certain assets and to set those aside for their children. So then when it comes to a divorce further down the line, there's no dispute. The children have the certainty of knowing what it is they're going to inherit. And for the parent, they have the comfort of knowing that they can go into the new relationship and they can put in place an agreement around finances that will completely protect their children. So it really, it it takes a lot of the stress and divisiveness out of what can be quite a tense time for children and parents who are um, who are remarrying. I would say that's one example. And another example is if someone knows that they're going to inherit a particular asset, be it you know a valuable art collection 
or a stake in you know, a family holiday property and they want to protect that, they can do that by means of a prenuptial agreement. And it just means that you know, they don't later on have a stressful situation where they're being badgered by their family on the one side, you know, what's going to happen to your interest in this property, and the spouse who's saying, I need everything I can get my hands on, and that includes a share of your family vacation home. So those sorts of situations. And so if I understand you correctly, um, you know, if you have one in place, make sure it works on both sides of the Atlantic. Exactly. Um, and if you don't, you might think about the benefits of, exactly. of getting that done early in the process. That's exactly right. Perfect. Exactly. Okay. Yeah. All right. Well, um, Elizabeth, I, I want to thank you. Uh, we have learned a lot today um, about things to bear in mind when a transatlantic couple is considering separation or even uh, a very happy transatlantic uh, couple who um, would perhaps be well served by having uh, a prenuptial agreement. Uh, in any event, it's been very instructive, and I want to thank you for being on Tanager Talks. You're very welcome.